Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and I'm excited to have Scott Crone, who's a Chicago native who's, uh, who started his career in architecture uh, in 1991 by pursuing his Master's of Architecture from Illinois Institute of Technology. Uh, in 2012, Crone founded Coda Management Group, a firm who specialized in managing real estate assets. Since its inception, Coda managed a wide range of real estate including single and multifamily houses, retail and commercial warehouse, and sell storage and multi-use uh, flex athletic spaces. Currently, the platform of investments is in excess of $5 million. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Awesome. So, you know, uh, what got you interested into real estate and uh, why, uh, why are you so interested in sell storage assets? Well, I, I began in real estate when I was getting my master's degree and I was fortunate enough that my, my professor uh, also ran a development company. And so I got to work on projects right from the beginning. In fact, my master's thesis was a $100 million project. And so it, the architecture, the development and the construction all went hand in hand. But in, um, you might recall in 0809, we had this little, little hiccup in our economy called you know, the Great uh, Recession, which altered how things were being done in, in real estate, specifically uh, single family and, and the, to some degree in multifamily. And that's when I began purchasing multifamily. But then I saw the efficiencies within self-storage and, and the demographics and, and the fact that you get monetized and the demographics as well as the spending patterns and habits a lot more easily than I could within multifamily and certainly within single family. It was just a lot more predictable, and uh, you can model it out a lot better. All right, and uh, you know, can can you give us some examples about uh, you know uh, and the processes of you know converting these uh, some of these underperforming buildings into 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 cell storage, uh, and yeah, and what is the ROI for such cell storage assets? Well, a big a big component is what we can acquire the building for. Um, so, for instance. Um, the last building we just bought, we bought in the global market. We bought it for about $12 a square foot. I mean, I, I can't build that structure for $12 a square foot. So my cost to rehab it is going to be significantly less between my acquisition of the property and my rehab is going to be less than a new construction. And so, you know, it's just, I get a lot more competitive advantage if I reduce my cost and have that factor compared to my competition. So we're always looking to make sure that we come in our cost basis below our competition so that we have that competitive advantage. And, uh, 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 you know, I wanted to understand what is the, what is the rate of uh, return when it comes to self storage assets uh, in, in comparison to multifamily and other, other, other assets, uh, you know, what is about that niche, which gives you that competitive advantage? Well, to comparative, you know, we did 400 units, and we sold it for $100 million. Um, and, uh, you know, our self-storage facilities, you know, we'll do six to 800 units and my cost basis will be between five and $8 million. So I have, you know, if I have to look at how much investment I have to put in to yield that rate of return, it's a fraction. It's literally a 10, less than 10% that I have to invest 
in order to get the same number of rental units compared to multifamily. So my overhead, my exposure in capital, my exposure on debt is a whole heck of a lot less than compared to multifamily. The other side of it is I have a lot more flexibility with my project. When we're going in and developing a multifamily or uh, a rental units or those sorts of things, I have to comply specifically with those plans and I can't deviate. I can't create different units unless I change the, the building permit plans. When I go into multi, when I go into self-storage, if a tenant wants, we just did this in our recent project. We had a bunch of 10 by 10s and the, we had people come in and said they needed 10 by 20s. Well, our operators, our store managers, took out the wall between the two units and made it a 10 by 20 and then they rented it. So, you know, we could, we have that flexibility of changing the configuration because of the fact of how we build them. And so there's a lot more flexibility. My cost basis is a lot lower. And the, the third thing is my management expense. My management ratio is a fraction compared to multifamily. In multifamily, it's like 55%. In self-storage, it's like 35%. So I get a greater yield on my net operating income. My uh, overall exposure is less. And I have more flexibility within my product type. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, what are the capital requirements for, for said storage? Uh, you know, we have listeners across the world, but uh, wanted to understand, you know, what are the capital requirements if it's like a 100 unit place? Well, there's, there's three classes of self-storage here in the United States. What we call Class C, which is first generation non-climate control facilities, more rural. And then there's Class B, which is more near uh, the cities, but suburban. And it will look like Class C, but it might be climate controlled. And instead of the, the roadways being graveled, it might be paved. <clears throat> and then Class A is a fully climate controlled in urban markets where people literally drive into the building, the door comes down as opposed to being outside, and it's, it's fully climate controlled. So, I mean, it's possible to pick up a, a Class C for less than a million dollars. And Class A's are going for, if new construction in urban markets could be going for 20 million plus. So there, there's a real range in terms of, you know, obviously class type and size and location, uh, anywhere from a million to, to $20 million. Got it. And uh, are there any kinds of buildings that you stay away from? Well, the ones that uh, the cities don't want us to convert into self-storage. So I mean, we look at the zoning. Um, obviously, the more regular the structure is, the you know, more square, the more efficient it can be. Um, but we've done single story, we've done multiple stories. Um, but we, you know, there's, there's different things that we consider. One is the zoning. Um, two, if it's in a, a market that is way oversaturated. So we look at how much competition is in, a, in our radius. So that's a big component. We don't want to go into a market that has too much competition. We look at construction technique. And then we also, you know, for instance, if the ceilings are too low and then we, you know, we can't make it optimal. We looked at one building on the first floor, they had uh, 15 foot high ceilings. It was great. And we went up to the second floor and the ceiling heights were seven feet, which, you know, we can't, we can't work within the seven foot ceiling. Once you put the sprinklers in it, then the lockers are going to be like five and a half, six feet. We just can't have lockers that low. Well, I think the, whenever people ask us that question and we're having more of an individual conversation rather than an interview for a general wide um, 
audience like your like your listeners, the first thing we always ask people is what are your specific goals? So if we go back to the different classes, class C, we consider that to be like a penny stock. You're going to get a consistent rate of return. You have a low investment, but you're not going to see a lot of great appreciation on it. Um, the class B, we see that more like a blue chip stock. So it's going to be good in a, both a recession and a, an up, a bull market or a bear market. And you'll have consistent rate of return. So it's going to be a nice, steady, you know, workhorse type investment for you. And then class A, we see it as a growth stock. So if you're looking for appreciation as well as cash flow, then that would be the bigger range. So if you're looking to operate, then a class C or B is good for you. If you're, or you want to hire someone to operate it for you. But if you're looking to get into a class A, then it's probably be better to invest with a group that is doing it because of the fact that um, there's a lot more things involved with it. And, you know, you have to do the bills, you have to do the entitlements, the legal, the zoning, all those sorts of things. It's just a lot more complex. And I think so, depending on what everyone's level of experience is and what their, you know, the monies that they have available and what they're willing to put to work, those would be my answers, either class C, B, or A, and which, which asset is best for that person. Today, I have an interesting stat for you, to you note that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And do uh, us any any uh, specific locations where most of these self-storage units are uh, or you know, any any cities which which dominate uh, this particular space or is it uh, geographically located all across the U.S.? It's, it's all across the United States. 10% of the United States population is using self-storage. We're, we're also seeing it in Canada. Um, and the first ones are appearing in Europe. So it is, it is migrating. And, uh, you know, some might say that, you know, it's sort of like a virus. It's, it's spreading to the people who don't like self-storage that it's just going across the world now. It used to be an American issue. But um, in terms of the reason why for it is cost of housing is increasing across the globe. And if you can manage a smaller space to put your stuff seasonally um, at a much more economical level than you know, getting a bigger apartment and getting a bigger house just to store stuff. Um, for instance, here in our climate, we have very much winter and we have very much summer. And so we need to be able to rotate those things. Um, it's a lot more, you know, cost effective to rent a 25 square foot space or a 50 square foot space or a hundred square foot space than buying a bigger apartment. Or you might be, you know, you like your location based upon the fact that where you work, you know, it's a short distance between where you live and where you work. <clears throat> and in order to get a bigger space, you have to move outside that, that neighborhood and you don't want to do that. So these are some of the reasons why people like self-storage. The other thing is for businesses. Half of our customers are businesses and they use it for inventory. They use it for storing equipment um, because once again, it's easier and cheaper to rent a self-storage space than get a bigger warehouse or a bigger office, those sorts of things. So I think that's the reason why it's spreading. But here in the United States, if we look at the United States, uh, the East Coast, the South and the West Coast are heavily saturated. Um, the general market is where, where supply equals demand in that, in that graph of seven square feet of lockers per capita. That's the national average. So if we go above seven square feet, then we're, we're exceeding the demand in the neighborhood. And our neighborhood is like three to five miles. 
And in those markets like Florida, uh, the East Coast, Dallas, Texas, uh, California, New York, there are like nine. We're seeing new facilities go into those markets that already have a saturation level of nine or greater, and they're filling up. So, it, you know, those are markets that we're trying to avoid. We're trying to go into markets that don't have as much demand so that we can fill our spaces up faster. Interesting. And uh, again, I wanted to understand what is the occupancy rate for customers who are renting uh, cell storage units? Uh, do you see uh, a declining number of uh, occupancy rates? Because, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's really spreading across. People have understood that it's a it's an undervalued asset, but it's uh, it can have great uh, ROI. Uh, it had been, it had great ROI in, in the past. Well, most people think that um, self-storage reflects what's happening in the general economy and market, but it's actually recessionary resistant. And so <clears throat> one of the times where self-storage tends to grow is in a recession because as, as people um, face challenges in their house, they temporarily put stuff into self-storage. So in each of the last four recessions, we've seen a drop like 1% in terms of occupancy, but then rebounding 3 to 5% after within a year. And it's the only asset class that I've seen across the real estate that actually, you know, rebounds faster and doesn't even really decrease in a recession. Every other product that I've been in has had bigs up and downs based upon what's happening in the economy. All right. And uh, why is there a lower expense ratio for, for cell storage units? You, you mentioned about, uh, you know, why the expense ratio is, is better than, uh, what do you have in multifamily units? But I want to understand why is there a lower expense ratio? Well, the, the way I generally, people say, well, I don't get self-storage, but I get multifamily or I get apartments. And I said, well, you know, self-storage is apartments without toilets. And therefore, you know, we, we don't have people. And so we don't have people necessarily breaking things, you know, after a, a good night out on the town and they come home, maybe not in the best physical condition and, you know, maybe break that toilet or, you know, break the faucet. You know, those are the types of things that we don't have to repair. Um, our overhead's a lot lower in terms of electricity because we can, um, when people are not there, the lights go off. You know, and, and when they walk through the space, they kick on. We have motion sensors and we, we can keep the heating down lower and we can keep the cooling down um, as well. And then the other side of it is we don't have as much to maintain around the buildings you know, for landscaping or parking or this or that. It's just overall, there's a lot less to manage and a lot less expensive. Got it. And, uh, and you know, I did a little bit of research and, you know, found that cell storage is the only real estate asset which where, you know, a small business administration could, could lend on. Is, is, is it true? And, you know, why, why is uh, that so? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? It broke up a little bit. Yeah, uh, so, you know, I, I said, uh, I did a bit of research and I found out that, uh, you know, you could get loans, which is you know, small business acquisition loans on uh, on sales storage assets. Uh, is, is it true that, you know, uh, on this real estate asset class, you can you can get loans for, for businesses? Absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, a lot of people who are, who are making the first acquisition of self-storage and they're buying a class C or B, uh, a very common loan that they get here in America is through the government, through the Small Business Administration. So it's called an SBA loan. So instead of having 20 or 30% equity, they only have to have 10%. And they get a much lower competitive advantage. Um, so we're seeing lots of new people coming into self-storage that are getting SBA loans um, for their, their facilities. So 
it is a very attractive asset class from lenders' perspective. But I will say this, that not every lender loves self-storage. So the bank that I've, when I first created my business accounts way back, you know, 30 years ago, um, they, for whatever reason, they don't lend on self-storage. They, they, they just have said, we're not doing self-storage. Other banks, that's all they'll do is they'll lend on self-storage. So, you know, it's like everything else. It, you know, it's the eye of the behold, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And, um, you know, some banks really love it and others don't. But if you're looking to get into it, you know, the important thing is working with brokers who do know those banks so they can make the right introductions and help you get the loans for them. And uh, if I'm investing or, you know, I'm, I'm putting uh, my, uh, you know, stuff into, into sales storage units, do I need to get into long-term lease or can it also be a month-to-month -month rental agreement? Uh, everything is possible. Everything is negotiable, right? So if you're, I mean, if you're asking for first month free and then you really stay there one month then that's not going to happen, right? So, you know, if you're looking for that type of situation, but, you know, we have loan, we have leases that are, our, our typical lease is six months and then it has a renewal period. Um, but people will, will rent it for two or three months. Like when my daughter is at college and she's coming home for the summer, she puts her stuff in for self storage for three months and then she comes back and gets her stuff when school opens up again. Correct. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing uh, the, you know, there could be a plenty of room for, you know, industry consolidation. In fact, the, the largest uh, self storage operators control 15% of the facilities. Uh, and uh, out of the 52,000 self storage facilities, uh, approximately 20% are owned by by larger companies. Uh, so do you think a, a consolidation might happen or do you think a smaller operators will, will always be there in the market and capitalize on, on the expansion which is happening, especially in the US? Well, a lot of the class C's are owned what we call by mom and pops. You know, so they, they may have been the original operator and, and developer or builder of the facility. And you know, if they're small, like you know, 50 to 100, 150 spaces, um, the big REITs are not going to want to, REITs are the real real estate investment trust, are not going to be interested in that market. So I think that there's going to be a market for people um, to be acquiring the smaller ones. I think um, the larger ones, there is going to be con <coughs> excuse me, consolidation. In fact, um, in the last recession, um, Exerspace bought one point, I think $2 billion worth of facilities across the country to consolidate them. And they jumped to number one in terms of the operators. And uh, this year it was announced, I think it was in October, that Blackstone was buying $1.4 million of, of facilities. So that was another good indicator to me that they felt that the economy was going to go into recession because um, Blackstone always always works the recessions very well to make sure that their investments are good. So in the last one, they, they did major acquisitions of bad debt in, uh, to get the real estate so they could uh, turn and flip those homes in Florida and Arizona and such. So to me, that was a big signal when Blackstone was coming in at $1.4 billion. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Yeah, can, how how you prepared for a uh, for for a for COVID nineteen or a potential downturn? Uh, you know, 
that that could come in future, uh, especially you know in the self storage uh, space. Yeah, so uh, self storage here in the United States, we were deemed essential, and so the reason why we're deemed essential is because. <clears throat> you know, people were getting immediately displaced or they, they couldn't do things. And so they needed places to go to put their stuff um, as well as businesses and supply chains and those sorts of things. So we, we were able to, we opened up one facility the week before our governor shut down um, the state. And during that period of time, we've exceeded our year's occupancy goals. And so we were able to do that in nine months, what we were expecting to do in 12 months. And, Every one of our facilities, um, and I, I'm in a mastermind of investors across the country, everyone saw their occupancy increase during COVID. So, and, um, and their collections stayed about the same. There's slight drop in collections, about 1% or 2%, but for the most part, everyone has uh, increased their occupancy during this period of time. So, you know, one of the things that we have done in response to COVID is it's gone more uh, paperless and more touchless. So you can create your lease and do all that um, before you get to the facility. And then you get there and uh, you can, you know, when we first opened it up, we offered everybody, we'll guarantee that your locker's further than six feet apart from the next unit because we had, you know, 700 lockers and none of them were built. So it was easy to say, okay, you take this one, we'll put you over here and just separate people. But, um, you know, most of the time, if we have three to five people in our facility in a day, that's a lot of traffic. You know, we're, we're looking to get one, one rental a day and or, or two rentals a day. That's, that's, the, that's the path toward getting it filled up. Correct. And, uh, you know, before the call, I mentioned uh, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffet and he had invested into store capital. Uh, you know, are they, do you, do you uh, look into, into such varieties like store capital or are there any varieties which you would recommend to listeners as they're looking to invest into self-storage? Well, I mean, one of the things that we have on our website, and if, if people uh, reach out to us and, and reference the show, we'd be more than happy to send them a feasibility study for one of our past projects. And it's a great tool and resource to learn about self-storage. Um, the reason why I say it is because not only in the feasibility study do they talk about our specific location, but they go through an overview of what self-storage is and why it's um, useful and why it's a benefit and also the economics of it. And they show the different markets across the country of where the national averages are. And so it's just a great educational tool. I mean, it's like 175 pages. You know, we need about 10 of those pages and the rest of it is information about the overall market. Um, if you're here in the United States, there's also these self-storage uh, association conferences. Um, those are great resources to learn about self-storage as well. Or you can join online. Now everybody's doing it virtual um, and you can listen to... Um, they, they do educational webinars and, and, and um, lectures about various aspects about financing, insurance, collections, latest technology, all those sorts of things. Good. And uh, I quickly want to do the talk three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Well, some people would argue that it might not be a business book, but for me, it's been uh, incredibly effective in terms of our business. It's called The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Crone. It's uh, no relationship, so I, I don't get any residuals just right off the bat. Um, but it's a book about uh, understanding different people's personalities and how they communicate. And so it's, I found it to be an effective tool, not only communicating within our office, but also with our clients to make sure I, better, I best understand the point of view from where they're coming from. 
Correct. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working in, in real estate and especially into self-storage units, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Well, I started my own company when I was 28. I just wanted to silence that. I thought it was silence. I apologize. I started when I was 28 and um, I thought I knew enough. And if looking back at it, I realized I didn't know about half of what I needed to know. I knew how to do the operations, but not necessarily the strategy or the growth or the projections. And I'm very thankful that I had a second mentor in my life who taught me more globally about business and the difference between real estate and business and how I needed to, to take business concepts and apply them to real estate versus taking real estate and applying it to business or thinking I could do it. Um, it's, it's a lot for me. I've learned how much more complex the business side of real estate is. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, well, I, I really, I'm involved in a bunch. I find that for me, the, the, the biggest thing that I need to do is surround myself with, with people. And so I, I'm in about four or five different masterminds with different emphasis so that I can learn from different things. And so I find for me personally, my greatest learning is from other people and their actual experiences so I can have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. Um, you know, I, there's, there's great resources out there. My learning style is I need to understand and I like to dig in deep to make sure that I really understand it. And so that's why I find masterminds are, are phenomenal for me. Got it. And uh, uh, what are the best ways people can reach out to you and know more about, uh, about your company? Well, you can do two things. You can visit our website, which is www.codamg.com. Or you can reach out to us at info at codamg.com. And um, if they mention this show, we'd be more than happy to talk to them and uh, go through if they have a building or an opportunity or they, they see in a self-storage facility that they're interested in and want to know if it's the right investment. This world is too small. We're, we're not going to try to steal people's deals. Um, we'll sign a non-disclosure, non-circumvent, whatever you want, but we're more than happy to review that with you or with, that, with your listeners to go through it. Yeah, uh, no, thank you so much. Uh, we put that in those show notes. Uh, Scott, thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, having this conversation with you. Thank you very much for having me. I apologize for the phone. No worries. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>